Good day to you, brothers, sisters, friends, and new faces, and welcome to Current Events and Christian Expectations. Today in this podcast, we're going to discuss anti-Semitism. Today we're going to lead off with the book of Zechariah, chapter 2, verses 7 through 9, as usual. We'll put several other scriptures that we'll reference and read today, and we'll put those in the overview. But with the rise and current sense of anti-Semitism, let's just dig right in. Right, anti-Semitism, hostility across, uh, against Jewish people, is um, in the news. Question, is it a wise move to vent hostility against the Jews since God is on record to judge those who have so judged his chosen people? This goes all the way back to Zechariah, chapter 2, verses 7, 8, and 9. Up, escape to Zion, you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. For thus said the Lord of hosts, after his glory sent me to the nations who plundered you. For he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. Behold, I will shake my hand over them. They shall become plunder for those who serve them. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Right, the apple of his eye. Uh, that expression shows up as well in Deuteronomy chapter 32, where we're told in verse 10, in the wilderness he kept them as the apple of his eye. And uh, that means that they are very special to him. And even when he judges them and punishes them, he is punishing the apple mm. of his eye. Mm. And it is a mistake the nations make because they thought it's just like any other nation. Mm. Not so. It is uh, rising, this hostility and prejudice against the Jews. Yahoo, NPR, Fox News, that is clear across the political spectrum of news left and right, they've all been reporting uh, the rise of this phenomenon. Here's a quote from Fox News, January 5th of this year. Quote, Bias against Jewish people has made recent headlines due to remarks and social media posts from celebrities. In reality, however, such sentiment is nothing new, as those who face it are well aware. While incidents involving Ye, formerly known as Kanye West, <laughs> Carrie Irving and Dave Chappelle have led to warnings that anti-Semitism is becoming normalized in the U.S., others believe the country is well past that point. For example, here is a quote from Evan Bernstein, the CEO of Community Security Services. Now, this is an organization that recruits and trains volunteers to provide security, imagine that, to synagogues and Jewish events. He says, quote, I think we're already there. The normalization of anti-Semitism is in the United States, end mm -hmm. quote. This does not bode well for the U.S., Here's another quote from Yael Eckstein. She's the president and CEO of the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews. Been around for 40 years. She says, quote, We have reached a new level of acceptance of anti-Semitism that we have definitely not seen in my lifetime. End of quote. Uh, the Christian expectation is not to bite the hand that feeds us. For all we have as Christians that gives us life comes from the Jews. Don't think so? Listen to Jesus' stark remarks to the woman at the well, John chapter 4, 21 and 22. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. 
You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Salvation is from the Jews. Um, I was struck uh, watching, I believe it was season one of The Chosen, that series that's mm-hmm. done so well, and uh, I like it. But I just found it interesting that in their scene of the woman at the well with Jesus, that quote is not given. That's salvation of the Jews. I wish I could write somebody and find out, why did you guys leave that out? Mm-hmm. Because that is integral to uh, the conversation that he's having with the woman at the well. Paul proclaims wonderfully the following, listen carefully, in Romans chapter 9, the first five verses. I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belonging the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is the God over all, blessed and forever. Amen. Again, listen to these points of blessing to Israel, the Jewish people, was the adoption. God chose them. The glory. We see that beginning with the passage to the Red Sea. The covenants, which began uh, with Abraham, and we have Moses and all that. The law itself, especially the Ten Commandments, the worship and its arrangement by tabernacle and temple, the promises, the patriarchs to whom these promises were made, and then the crown of everything, the Christ, God over all, blessed forever. Uh, Probably the strongest affirmation other than John chapter 1, verse 1, of Jesus' deity that you can find in the New Testament. Uh, it's, It's other places as well, but here, you know, it's in a Jewish context. And I think that's important to remember. All these Jewish blessings led to Christ, God over all. Our government's sentiment, sadly, is not to give Jews recognition based on politics and so-called historic arrangements. Continuing the quote uh, we had above with Fox News, quote, The Biden administration, which has worked hand in glove on a wide range of funding projects for Palestinians <clears throat> in the Middle East, now says it is adamantly opposed to allowing Jews to pray on Jerusalem's Temple Mount. The Washington Free Beacon reports that a Biden State Department official insisted it would be unacceptable for Jews to be allowed to pray there. It's because, the Biden official said, that would change the, quote, historic status quo that only allows Muslims to pray there. However, that's the end of the quote. However, before that history, there is an earlier history that we need to grasp. The claim on the land the Jews have from God thousands of years before Islam. Let's go back to historic status quo. Here's a quote. Uh, This is from the World Net Daily, January 16th of this year. Quote, Richard Goldberg, a former White House National Security Council official, told the Free Beacon, quote, Is the policy of the State Department freedom of religion for all except Jews? End of quote. This kind of hostility has been going on since Abraham some 4,000 years ago. In fact, it's referred to in Abraham's call to be the father of the Jewish people. Listen to his call, Genesis 12, the first three verses. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. 
and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. There are blessings to be gained uh, from, in turn, blessing this nation. Conversely, curses leveled for those cursing this nation. And in God's timing, all families, peoples, nations will be blessed through Abraham because of his descendant, Jesus. Listen to the capsule genealogy. I like this kind because they're short. Mm -hmm. <laughs> From Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. There you go. All those thousands of years encompassed in just those three people. We see the blessing and the curse in Abraham's life long before his descendants become a nation as Pharaoh finds out. Abraham and Sarah, his wife, who's also his half-sister, have gone down to Egypt because of a famine. Abraham fears that there might be problems if he passes off Sarah as indeed what she is, his wife. So he convinces her to say that she's the sister. Uh, but it backfires. So listen to this, Genesis 12, 10 through 19. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister, so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Right. Though done in ignorance, God afflicts Pharaoh to make a point, an historic point. And this becomes a pattern for times to come, as the psalmist um, gives us this information. Psalm 105, verses 7 through 15. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever, the word that he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant that he made with Abraham, his sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, To you I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. When they were few in number, of little account, and sojourners in it, wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people. He allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked kings on their account, saying, Touch not my anointed ones. Do my prophets no harm. There you hear the reference, of course, of God giving them the land in Canaan. And God's judgments are rendered to any who mistreated this family headed toward nationhood. The great blessings and cursings of God on Abraham's descendants uh, are seen in how Genesis ends and Exodus begins. Genesis ends with Joseph, son of Jacob, uh, ruling in Egypt. Ruling, He's second in command to Pharaoh, and for all intents and purposes, most of the time, he is a Pharaoh. And things go well for everybody. 
Later, as you go to the very next chapter in Exodus chapter 1, a Pharaoh arises who doesn't remember the blessing of Joseph and begins a persecution of the Jews. Randy's going to read from Exodus 1, 6 through 9, and then verse 22. Then Joseph died, and all his brothers and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, so that the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt, who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. There are judgments on those who forget the blessings that came to their nation through Jacob, and before him Abraham. And there were blessings on the midwives who didn't kill the sons who were born, but plagues to come on Egypt for their anti-Semitism. Israel, however, though miraculously delivered by God from Egypt, did not give him thanks. Uh, perhaps the burden, as it sometimes sounds in the Old Testament, was too great. I'm reminded of Tevye, the milkman in Fiddler on the Roof, mm. who says, God, I know we're the chosen people, but sometimes could you choose somebody else? <laughs> We've got so many problems. Listen to this from Psalm 106, verses 9 through 15. He rebuked the Red Sea, and it became dry, and he led them through the deep as through a desert. So he saved them from the hand of the foe and redeemed them from the power of the enemy. And the waters covered their adversaries, not one of them was left. Then they believed his words, they sang his praise. But they soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel. But they had a wanton craving in the wilderness and put God to the test in the desert. He gave them what they asked, but sent a wasting disease among them. This rebellion continues even in the promised land throughout the rest of their history. Listen to these sad words, Jeremiah 7, 25 and 26. From the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt to this day, I have persistently sent all my servants, the prophets, to them day after day. Yet they did not listen to me or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck. They did worse than their fathers. The Lord judges his own people, the apple of his eye, but he judges them. And they are exiled for 70 years into a foreign land. And there, of course, they lament. I think this Psalm 137, the first three verses, really gives us a picture of their lamentations and their sadness. And we would hope, perhaps, of course, their repentance at this time. Psalm 137, Randy reads the first three verses. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our lyres, for there our captors required of us songs, and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. The Lord blessed and brought them back to Zion, and there was rejoicing, as this psalm, 126, the first three verses, tells us. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. They were rejoicing, bringing back the apple of his eye. All this was done for Israel, while the Lord punished the nations that had cursed the Jews, Israel. Listen to this, because this brings up the subject of the remnant. Jeremiah 50, 17 through 20. <clears throat> Israel is a hunted sheep driven away by lions. 
First the king of Assyria devoured him, and now at last Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, has gnawed his bones. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing punishment to the king of Babylon and his land as I punish the king of Assyria. I will restore Israel to his pasture, and he shall feed on Carmel and in Bashan, and his desire shall be satisfied on the hills of Ephraim and in Gilead. In those days and in that time, declares the Lord, iniquity shall be sought in Israel, and there shall be none, and sin in Judah, and none shall be found. For I will pardon those whom I leave as a remnant. The remnant, the remnant. This remnant perseveres, believing the promises of a deliverer to come until we arrive at the birth of Christ. And we find this in uh, Luke chapter 1 and 2, the remnant. Zechariah and Elizabeth, Simeon, and Anna, the woman who's now in her 90s, prophesying in the temple area, and Mary and Joseph. It's as if it's the end of one era with the old folks, Zechariah, Elizabeth, Simeon, and Anna, and the beginning of the new one with Mary and Joseph, the earthly parents of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And then the promises come to a fulfillment in one Jew, a remnant of one. You have Israel, it gets punished, it gets refined, it comes down to a remnant, and the remnant comes down to one person, Jesus. As Peter tells us in this passage, we're looking at Acts 2.36 and then verses 38 through 39. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Salvation is of the Jews, and it comes down to just one Jew. And from here on, the remnant grows. The remnant of Jews who came to believe in Jesus becomes the first church on the day of Pentecost. The bulk of the nation rejecting Jesus no longer enjoys the blessing of salvation. But the believing remnant does, and as we follow the church of the remnant, say, through the book of Acts, she becomes a new nation of Jews and Gentiles too, which is according to the promises of God made to Abraham, as Paul tells us. We're going to listen first to his passage in Galatians 6, verses 15 and 16. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, Peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Circumcision, the Jews who are believers. Uncircumcision, the Gentiles who are believers. Both of them being Christians. Christians being the Israel of God. Indeed, a new creation, but keeping the original name so we won't forget, especially we Gentiles, our origin as Christians. We came out of the old Israel to be the new Israel, which is only possible because there was an old Israel for Jesus to come out of. As Paul said earlier, all the promises of God to Israel of old are found in Christ. And so the following comes to pass. Galatians 3, 13 and 14, and then 27 through 29. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. 
for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to a promise. There you go, our inclusion in the Israel of God. We too now are the Israel of God. And therefore, we Christians are so indebted to the Jews who persevered, waited, and realized the promises of old in their lifetimes, and who also came to realize such promises were for Gentiles too, as Paul has just made the point. For a Christian to be anti-Semitic is to hate the family that makes our faith possible. Of course, there are many ways the Jewish people, apart from Christian faith, have blessed nations. Uh, a few years ago on vacation down in Florida, I was blessed to read a book by Neil Gabler, and it might be pronounced Gabler, Neil Gabler. Uh, it's called An Empire of Their Own, and the subtitle was How the Jews Invented Hollywood. Uh, some of you out there in podcast land may not realize that, but Hollywood was a Jewish invention, and the book is wonderful, explaining how all that came to pass. Without them, there would not be a Hollywood. But besides that, science, philosophy, the world of finance, 22% of all Nobel Prize winners are Jewish, mm. way out of disproportion to the rest wow. of the uh, nations. And just in medicine, think of Jonas Salk, Jewish, and Albert Sabin, Jewish, who came up with the vaccines to rid us of polio. And back in the early 50s, that was, that was a terror. I remember it, and parents, everybody was scared to death of polio. But some might say, didn't God reject Israel forever because they crucified Christ? Hmm? Well, that was a Great mistake and error in the sin of the Middle Ages, for sure. And that's why they had the Holocaust? Well, there are three places in the New Testament to consider. Matthew 23, 1 Thessalonians 2, and then Romans 11. So let's take a look at this. First, listen to the words found uh, in Matthew 23. Jesus is speaking. He is having a righteous rant against uh, his enemies and telling them what's going to happen. And so listen to this as Randy reads it. Matthew 23, verses 32 through 36. Fill up, then, the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. All the blood from the first martyr, Abel, back to the book of Genesis chapter 4, uh, to the last, as Jesus understands it, and the popular understanding, Zechariah, fellow who there's some controversy over which Zechariah, but nonetheless, obviously they knew what they were talking about, and they knew what Jesus was saying, so that's fine. To the execution of Jesus, which is referred to when Jesus says, fill up the measure of your fathers. And it's confirmed in 70 AD when Rome leveled Jerusalem and the temple, very things that Jesus talks about in the next chapter, Matthew 24. All the wrath came upon that generation. It was not to be perpetuated beyond that. Paul refers to this finality in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and drove us out. It displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. 
but wrath has come upon them at last. Fill up the measure of their sins, and wrath has come upon them at last. It's the same way I think the NIV translates it. Uh, remember Matthew 23, 36. Truly all these things shall come upon this generation. So it's very specific. There's no mistaking it. Mm -hmm. There is a great hope to come, for Jesus closes in Matthew 23 with this word. Listen carefully, because we're going to take a look at how Paul addresses it in Romans 11. Randy's reading from Matthew 23, verses 37 through 39. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Remember that. You will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Paul will talk about this hope as well as uh, their earlier judgment, as we shall see. But just right now, listen to Romans 11, verse 1. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people, referring obviously to Israel, to the Jewish people. He is still the apple of their eye. The Holocaust, then, is not the continuing judgment of God for rejecting Jesus. This horror can be explained the way we would explain the genocide of the Armenians by the Turks during World War I. It's estimated that somewhere between 600,000 to over a million Armenians were killed. It was an act of genocide. This and other genocides throughout history are instigated by Satan, who hates humanity, and God's people especially. Remember, it was Satan's hatred for the beginning of humanity, Adam and Eve, truly God's people, that brought death for everyone into the world. As Paul says, in Adam all die. And for sure, Satan is aware of God's continuing love for his people of old, as well as for the church. However, the final word on this is found in Romans 11, where Paul speaks of their salvation to come. Listen to verses 11 and 12. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches to, for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Their full inclusion is coming. That's the point Paul's going to make. Meanwhile, Gentiles are being saved en masse, you know, so, but... Their rejection is not final, not in the least. There's a great future coming for Israel, the Jews chosen of God. So listen to these following verses in that same chapter, verses 25 through 29. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved, as it's written. The Deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Yes, what a great passage. And again, he's contrasting Jewish people with Gentiles, Israel with Gentiles, there's going to be a final stage of the fullness of Gentile salvation. At the same time, that will initiate 
the salvation of Israel. It's the last stage of the historical process of this age. The Savior will come from Zion, a reference course to heaven, which Paul uses in Galatians, as well as the author of Hebrews in chapter 12 talks about you have come to basically understand that you are people for heaven because that's Mount Zion, and mm -hmm. that's where the heavenly Jerusalem is, and that's where the spirits of righteous people are, having been cleansed. So Jesus is coming. Matthew 23, 20, uh, 39 again, if you want to read that, Randy. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's exactly what Paul's talking about. He's coming from Zion, from heaven itself, and he, they are beloved of God, and all Israel will be saved. And there's controversy over the word all, but... We're not going to get bogged down on that right now. Obviously, Paul understands it to be a wonderful thing mm -hmm. and details to follow. The gifts and the calling. This is interesting. The gifts to the Jews, that is, to make them the nation they were. All those promises, the patriarchs, the law, the glory, the adoption, and the calling to be God's people. Paul says, not going to be revoked. Not going to be revoked. Meanwhile, we Christian Gentiles have an ongoing obligation to Jewish Christians, as Paul points out in Romans 15, verses 22 through 27. This is the reason why I've so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem being aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. That is so obvious, is it not? It's clear. We have shared in the Jewish spiritual blessings in Jesus. We have a debt then to bless them even materially when we can, as prescribed, going all the way back to Genesis 12. Um, even to um, Jewish people in general, once we have an opportunity, we need to do that. So we don't want to bite the hand that has fed us. This doesn't mean having to endorse whether political policies are current in Israel. It is to recognize their historic significance and our indebtedness to them concerning our salvation now and to come. And not to forget that Jesus is Jewish as to his descent in the flesh. Here again, Paul establishes this as he starts off this letter to the Roman church. Romans 1, the first four verses. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David, according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. According to the flesh, descended from David, he's Jewish. He's the universal Savior for all, but his humanity is Jewish. And um, his revelation of John, book of Revelation, we see Jesus quite comfortable, still using his, this is way past his resurrection time, it was 90 AD or so, Jesus is still quite comfortable using his Jewish understanding, even to describe the churches with Jewish terms, the churches he is Lord over. Revelation 1, 17 through 20. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, 
And behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Yes, this is churches being described in Jewish terminology just like we who are Christians are called along with the fellow Jewish believers, the Israel of God. He's not a universal generic man, Jesus, but the one man who is Jewish who brings about the universal call to salvation. Uh, this is how Paul puts this whole Jewish matter in perspective. Romans 1, 16. Excuse me. Yes, Romans 1, chapter 16. Huh, back up. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. To the Jew first, and then the Greek. Greek standing, of course, is a synonym for the rest of mankind, the Gentiles. A priority that we see in the book of Acts, where Paul goes to synagogues first before launching out into the Gentile world. In the passage Randy's going to read now, he's at the synagogue. This is his second day of preaching, second Sabbath, uh, at Antioch Pisidian. And uh, the Jewish people there, by and large, are upset because the Gentiles seem to be buying into Paul's message, and they're cottoning up to him, so to speak, and they're upset, and they don't want to hear Paul anymore. So here's what happens, Acts 13, 46. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. There you go. That's pretty clear. They, Every town they come to, city or province, they go first to the Jews, then to the Gentiles. This priority for Christians is honored every time we go to Jesus, who was and is Jewish. So we're reminded of our debt to the Jews from whence he came. He was a Jew when crucified, a Jew when resurrected, a Jew when he returns. Listen to this, Acts 1, 6 through 11. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This same Jesus, the one who was born of Mary, the one who had the ministry, baptized of John, the one who was crucified, the one who was resurrected, the one who is currently enthroned, the one who is going to return, the same Jesus, forever connected to Israel, as Paul has clearly outlined in Romans 11. As Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, as we made uh, a reference, I think, to an earlier in an earlier podcast about the gates of New Jerusalem, the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 21, this is in the kingdom to come. Those gates are engraved with the 12 tribes of Israel for all to see. Uh, even in the kingdom to come, there will be recognition that salvation is of the Jews. And in the last chapter of our Bible, he is seen as the lamb at the throne of God, Revelation 22.1. The lamb, of course, is the sacrificial lamb of the Jews, the one that John the Baptist says of 
Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. That's John 1.29. The sin of the world, not sins, of course he takes away sins, but the sin of the world which brought death, the curse. And the Gospel of John deals very much with dealing with death and overcoming it in Jesus, who is you know, the way, the truth, and the life. Thus the Gospel of John is famous for this statement of Jesus and for the enduring truth that he has overcome death. The statement is made uh, to Martha in the narrative about Lazarus about to be raised from the dead in John chapter 11. Jesus says to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And of course, Martha says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are uh, the Son of God who's coming to the world. One day, then all things will be united and reconciled. Let's look at the unification of all things. Listen to this, Ephesians 1, 7 through 10. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mysteries of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. All things, whether in heaven or earth, unification, unity, harmony, peace, but also reconciliation, no more enmity. Listen to this, Colossians 1, 19 through 20. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. A time is coming when there'll be no enmity, no hatred, no anti-Semitism. All things reconciled. All things in heaven and earth unified and reconciled. And the calling found in Genesis 12, that through Abraham's Jewish descendants that all families and nations of the world will be blessed, come fully to pass through the Jew we know as Jesus Christ. Let us therefore pray, Lord, your kingdom come. This is the Christian expectation. Well, thanks, Jim. You've given us a lot to think about. And in light of current events, I'm sure there might be questions or comments on it. We'd love to hear those questions and comments from you. Please send your questions to eventsandexpectations at gmail.com. The link is in the overview. Uh, We'll use your question or comment on the air where possible, and we'll always answer you. This has been Current Events and Christian Expectations. And until next time, keep looking up.